you so much for that introduction. And so, anyway, uh, how's this going to take? My name is Rick Gravitt, and uh, this is my wife, Pat, who's sitting right over here. And so, wave to everybody. And uh, it's just so good to be with you this morning. Uh, first, let me share with you about uh, my health and what's been going on there. It, it turned out we went to the doctor's office about two months ago, and it turned out that I have kidney cancer. And uh, anyway, and he says it's stage four, which what happened is whenever you look at it on that, uh, on that little chart that we have, whenever you look at that, you can see on the side of it, there's some cancer there. There's a little blood vessel that's up on the top. If that's my kidney on the top coming out, there's a blood vessel, and that cancer has gone up into that. And so what he said was, since it's done that, then they can't operate and remove that kidney. So normally, that's just what you do. Just remove the kidney, and then your cancer's gone. Well, he said they can't do it. So I'm just kind of stuck with it. And so with stage four cancer. And he told me that day, he says, well, says, if we don't do anything, you've got about 18 months to live. And uh, I, that kind of shocks you right there when they tell you something like that. But he said, with, with, the, with the chemo and the other stuff, I'm taking chemo pills and going over there every third week and getting a transfusion. And uh, with all that, we might extend it out to maybe four years. But what I thought and what we've all said, the people I've talked to, my Christian friends, everyone, all of you told me, says, well, uh, no man tells you when you're going to die. That's something that God does. It's up to him. And it could be four years. It could be ten. I, you don't know. It's just, it's just whenever God wants you to go home, you'll go home. And so um, that's, what, that's what we're, that's what we're uh, counting on. And I want to thank all of you who pray for me. And that means so much to me. I go up there and I'm sitting up there in that room where everybody goes and gets their transfusions and stuff. And you have to sit there for a couple hours and just sitting there and meditating and thinking about each one of you are praying for me. And it's not only this church, but we've got churches all over, um, well, all around Atlanta where the folks are praying for me have been put on the prayer list. And that prayer changes things because we have a miracle-working God and he can do and he work wonders. And so we're just trusting the Lord to send some healing and to take care of us. And uh, that's an amazing thing. Now, whenever that first happened, see, when you get in the flesh and you start looking at things, you know, you look at things from the world's point of view, you get in the flesh, well, that kind of shocked me. So when I came home that day, I was just thinking, oh, my word. Uh, 18 months from now, I won't even be here. And I thought, oh, my, I won't get to be here to see my grandson graduate from college because he's like nine years old now so won't be here for that and you know all this stuff I'm thinking well you won't get to do and, and anyway and so it just had me all down in the dumps but then I just thought wait a minute hey I'm I'm right now looking at things from the world's point of view I'm looking at it from the worldly perspective and so I got to thinking you know this is what I have been looking forward to ever since I got saved back in 1968 I've always been talking about it. I've been looking forward to the day you go to heaven. And that's what each and every one of us, we're looking forward to the day you go to heaven. Walk streets of gold, see the face of Jesus, see our loved ones, and all the wonderful things that all that involve, we get to go to heaven. And uh, that just, that kind of perked me up about it. And, you know, because I was thinking, well, you know, we go to church every Sunday, and that's what the preacher preaches about. We hear about heaven. Uh, most all the songs we sing are all about heaven. 
all how wonderful it is. And uh, so that's, that's what I started thinking about that. And that kind of, I just got joy in my heart. And, and I said, well, this is what we've been looking forward to. Let's do it. Let's go to heaven and let's have the joy of the Lord in my heart. And man, oh man, the Holy Spirit of God just touched my heart and uh, filled me with his spirit. And uh, I'm rejoicing in that. And so, I'm actually, we're all about the same thing. You know, we all are not promised tomorrow. We don't have to leave tomorrow. We'll be, even be here. We're all the possibility of this afternoon, tomorrow, going to heaven. And what a wonderful thing that is. And that's a possibility for all of us. And so we have to th- stop and think about that. And so pretty much we're all in the same situation. It's just whenever you get a... Uh, end point stamped on it whenever you get an expiration date stuck out there all of a sudden you get to thinking it and that kind of scares you a little bit but we don't know when that is and so actually we all have that expiration date we just don't know when it is and you know the preacher says all the time if you knew tomorrow you'd be going to heaven what would you change in your life today well that's just kind of the situation that I'm in and uh, it's just an amazing thing to know we have a great and mighty God he's provided wonderful wonderful salvation for us and anyway uh, that's just where we stand on that and you'll notice uh, this chemo stuff I take a pill in the morning and at night and then they go do the transfusion but all that stuff the chemo it really works on you so I have a hard time walking and standing up, and you'll see that whenever I do. Now, it's not doing a lot of the stuff. They say, well, the, that chemo is going to make you throw up and make you sick and you lose. That part hadn't happened to me yet. I just have it. My legs feel like i got like 50-pound weights on each foot. It's just hard to walk. And so I just have a hard time standing here. That's why we've got the, the, the little stool up here. I can sit on that when I need to. And so anyway, I told Brother Randy, I'll talk as long as I can. I don't know. It takes a lot of energy to get up here and talk. And so uh, I'm going to go as long as I can. So I may, I may have to stop a little bit early, but we'll see. And we'll see what the Lord does. Because the Lord strengthens you when you get up and you start sharing his word with the folks. The Lord will strengthen you and he'll guide your heart and your mind. And I'm just trusting the Lord to help me with that, to be able to talk to you folks. And so uh, anyway... Uh, What I want us to do is, I want us to read from John chapter 3. If would everyone stand, and let's read John chapter 3. As you know, this is the passage that talks about Nicodemus. And it talks about uh, how he comes and talks with Jesus. Let me start here in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There you have it right in the scriptures. If you're not born again, you'll never go to heaven. And that's what he told Nicodemus. And then Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and we testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear God, I pray that you would bless this scripture and add it to our hearts. Sweet Spirit of God, lead us now and show us what you would have us to see. And Lord, teach us from your word. And I pray that each one here will respond, whatever you speak to our hearts, that we will obey and do what you tell us to do. And Lord, I pray that sweet spirit touch us now during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Now here we have the, the account of Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus by night. And he wants to talk with Jesus. And he has a definite question that he wants him to answer. And so... Nicodemus, the scriptures tells us here in verse 1 and 2, talks about the fact that he is a ruler of the Jews. He's a ruler of the Jews, and he's a Pharisee. And so what that means is Nicodemus, he is um, what you call a leader of the Jews. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is also, uh, he is also uh, a Pharisee. Now, as a Sanhedrin, Remember the Sanhedrin, he is like one of our modern-day senators. He'd about, be about the same as being a senator right now or a justice on the Supreme Court. So all of that he does is part of the Sanhedrin. And then he's thinking he's okay to come and talk with Jesus. See, when he comes to Jesus, he, he's expecting a one-on-one -on -one equal theological meeting between two theologians himself, which he's proud of, and Jesus, and he, he doesn't realize who Jesus is. And so he's going to come in there, and he wants to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and they want to talk about theological things, but he's not expecting what's going to happen when he goes in there because he's trusting in the fact that he is a Pharisee. He has the Old Testament pretty much memorized. He knows the Bible. He knows it. And he uh, stands in the, in the street People recognize that he's a Pharisee by his clothes and what he has on. You know, he has phylacteries, which if you haven't heard about that or know about it, a phylactery is like a band that you have around your head. And on the front, you put a little sign that has a Bible verse on it. 
And then you have a band around your wrist and you have a Bible verse on it. And so um, whenever uh, in the Old Testament it says, you know, have the, bind the word of God in your head and then, like in your mind and on your hand. So that means you follow the scriptures and what you think. And me- what it means is memorize the scripture <laughs> and obey the scriptures of what you do. But they take it so literally, they make a phylactery and just put these things on. And he has those things and people know he's a Pharisee. A little boy and his dad, you know, walking down the street. The little boy say, oh, look, Dad, there's a Pharisee. Look at his outfit, what he's got on. And, you know, so, and then what he would do is he would stop and have long prayers. Jesus talks about that, how that they, how they stop right in the middle of the street and just say long prayers. And everybody knows they're, quote, religious. So he th- he's thinking, well, I am a great leader in, in the uh, Pharisees. And so I'm going to have a good conversation with Jesus. It's going to be a one-on-one talk. But he's in for a big surprise because what he doesn't realize is he's going in to talk to the Son of God. He's going in to talk to the great I Am, the one who has been here forever, the one who was here when the world was created. And as a matter of fact, he's the one who made it. Read over in Colossians that Jesus is the creator of all things. And what a wonderful thought that is. And so he doesn't realize who's he about to talk to. He's about to talk to the one who created everything, the one who sustains everything and keeps the whole world together. And he's going in there and he is going to hear from the very voice of the Son of God. And he's going to talk with God. And so he doesn't realize how unequal it's going to be. So he goes in there and he expects Jesus to answer a question. And he goes in in the evening and Jesus is having his quiet time with his heavenly father and he's sharing with him. And whenever he comes in there, he asks Jesus the question. And after he asks the question, Jesus shocks him because it didn't matter that he is a great Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, that he was like on the Supreme Court and he was a ruler of the Jews and made laws and made sure people kept the law. All that didn't matter at all. Jesus just looked at him and said, you must be born again. All this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you're in church and how much you know the Bible and all the things you think you're doing. No, he was not right with God. He needed to be saved. And Jesus told him, you must be born again. And then, of course, that kind of shocked him. Now, Nicodemus, he's thinking in a worldly sense, and he says, how can this be? He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus answered and said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now down in verse 9, Nicodemus, he answered and he said, How can these things be? Well, Nicodemus, he is plagued with what all the Pharisees, the problem they all have. They're looking at things from a worldly perspective. Now over in John chapter 8, I think it's like verse 23, Jesus tells the Pharisees, they're having a hard time understanding what he's saying. And he tells them, I am from above. You are from beneath. You are looking at everything from a worldly perspective, like I was whenever I was getting worried about what the doctor had told me. I was looking at it from a worldly... uh, Well, they are looking at things from this world standpoint. And when you do that, you can't understand spiritual things. 
And so that's what Jesus said. He said, I have come to you from heaven, and I am giving to you a heavenly perspective. I'm giving to you what I have seen and what I have heard in heaven. Now see, John presents this, this perspective a lot in his scriptures, and the fact that Jesus is from above and we are all from beneath. And whenever we hear the things that Jesus says right off, we don't understand it because we're seeing things from a worldly standpoint. Whenever I do sermons, wherever I preach someone's sermon, a lot of times the title of my sermon is uh, how that uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of a saint. And I say, how in the world? You may ask the question. I ask the question. How can something that hurts me so much and makes me feel so bad be precious to God? Well, it's because God, from his perspective, is looking at things. He is looking at us, and he is saying, Aha, I can have you in my very presence now. I can bless you like I never could bless you before. See, in this life, we have the things of this world that get in the way of God, God blessing us. A lot of times God's having to punish us. And God's having to correct us. And he can't be blessing us like he wants to because he's got to correct us. But once you get to heaven, all that's put aside and he can hold us close and love us. And uh, so whenever you look at things from God's point of view, and what, what I point out during the sermon at the funeral, I point out at the fact that you know when we look at what, what we see here, all we see is a body in a casket. And oh, that makes us so sad. And all we see is separation. And all we see is the turmoil that we have in our life because of this death. But from God's point of view, he sees, uh-huh, I have my loved one with me now. And there is, instead of separation, there is rejoicing and union in heaven where you're meeting with Jesus and you're meeting your loved ones and you're being there with folks you haven't seen in years and oh, the joy in heaven. Where in this life, we are going to be plagued with the pain and suffering and different problems. But when you get to heaven, there is no more pain. There is no more suffering. And God can bless you. So anyway, that's the perspective. Whether you're looking at things from God's point of view or looking at things from the world's point of view. And if you look at it from the world's point of view, boy, oh boy, that'll get you, that'll get you uh, uh, depressed. And that'll run you down. And so anyway, Jesus tells these Pharisees, you are from below, I am from above. He's saying that I have come from heaven witnessing to you what I have heard being said around the throne of God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all speak to one another and what we have heard is the story of great salvation and how much God loves us and how much he wants to do for us and oh, the salvation that he has planned for us. That's what Jesus comes from heaven wanting to share. And so... Anyhow, he looks there, and verse 8, he goes on to explain, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. So here it talks about the fact that uh, it says, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You have to be born of water. That is the birth that your mother gives you. Every one of us sitting here has been born of the water. We've been born spirit. I mean, physically. We have the physical birth, and everybody has that. Well, but Jesus says you need a second birth. You need to be born again, and that is of the spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and changes your life when you're born of the Spirit. And so he goes on to explain his illustration. Now notice here he's given several, he's going to give several illustrations here. This first one right here is about the wind and how it illustrates how the Spirit, which is the second birth that you must have, how the Spirit uh, will come in and change your life. And you don't see the Spirit you see what the Holy Spirit does, and you feel the Holy Spirit. Notice he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, how many people, this is a trick question. Raise your hand if you have seen the wind. Now think about it, have you seen the wind? <laughs> have you actually seen the wind? No, you haven't seen the wind. You have seen what the wind does. You'll see the trees moving out there, the leaves, and you'll see the grass blowing back and forth. And you walk out there and you can feel the wind, but you don't ever see the wind. You don't see it. If there's nothing out there for the wind to move or blow, you can't even tell that the wind's blowing. If you had a big uh, concrete patio or I'm trying to say parking lot, and the wind was blowing, there's no dust, there's no nothing, you couldn't tell it was even blowing out there unless you stepped out and then you feel it on your face. That's the way the Spirit of God is. You don't see the Spirit of God. You don't see the Spirit of God working. But when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, oh, the joy that fills your soul, and you feel the presence of the Lord right here in your heart, you feel that. You can feel the presence of God. And whenever you look and around in this room, you can't just by looking know who's saved and not saved. But they have to give their testimony. And by watching their lives and how their life has changed, the Spirit of God will change your life and He will cause you to be close to Christ. He'll cause you to live for Christ. And so, anyway, what a change the Spirit of God will make in your life. And so that's the way it is the wind. You can feel the wind, but you don't see the wind. And so He's explaining all that. And then, after that, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art, they, art thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things? You, you, I mean, here you have the Bible, which is the Old Testament to us. You have it pretty much memorized. And you're a great leader in, I won't say the church, it's not the church at that point. You're a great leader in, among the Pharisees. And uh, anyway, you don't understand these things? I can't understand that. Why don't you know this? And if he had really been paying attention to the Old Testament scriptures and the Spirit of God was teaching him, he would know. He would know what is there and he would know about the Spirit of God and the second birth. And uh, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. He says, I'm talking to you about what I know. I've been to heaven and I have seen the streets of gold. I've walked on those streets of gold, and, and uh, I can tell you about that. And he goes on and he says, and he testified of that which we have seen. And he says, you received our witness. And he says, I'm telling you what I've heard in heaven. I'm telling you what the angels are talking about, the throne of God. I'm telling you what the Heavenly Father is saying to the Spirit and to me, and the conversation we had about salvation. Now understand, if Jesus had never come from heaven to tell us what he told us. We would never know about salvation. I mean, you can go around here, if you didn't have your Bible and you never came to church, you can look 
and you look out and you can see the trees growing and you can know God is a mighty God. You can hear the wind and you can feel the wind blowing. You can see the wind when it tears up stuff when you have a tornado and you can watch and see the lightning and all the things that God does in nature. You can know that God is a great, mighty, powerful God. But that'd be all you'd know about just looking at the world around you. To know the heart of God, to know how much he loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever know you have to go and listen to what Jesus said. John 3, 16. You would never know just by looking at the trees and by looking at the lightning and feeling the wind and just seeing that, you would never know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. You'd never know that unless someone from heaven who heard that discussion around the throne of God and how much God loves us and how that Jesus was going to come and die on the cross and pay for our sin debt, you would never know that unless someone who was there came and told us. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Jesus is revealing to us things that we could never know, things that went on in heaven. And oh, the great and wonderful conversations that God the Father has had with the Son. And so anyway, that is what he's saying to him. And then he goes on and he tells him a few more things. He says right there, he says, uh, verse 12, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And so that's what he's been doing. He's been telling him of heavenly things. You must be born again. You must be born again. You can't go without it to go to heaven. And he's telling them about the wind and how that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You don't see it, but you feel it. And you see the results in people's lives and in your life. And now he's going to go ahead and he's going to give another illustration. In, in verse 13, he says, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So nobody had come from heaven but Jesus. Jesus has come from heaven to reveal what's going on in heaven in the heart of mind and the thoughts of God in heaven. Now, the next illustration he gives, and he gives an earthly illustration to illustrate a heavenly truth. He's going to tell him about what happened with Moses in the wilderness. You look over in Numbers, I think it's chapter 21, and there Israel is wandering around in the desert out there. And snakes come across the desert and they come into the camp and start biting the children of Israel and they all start dying. And they come to Moses and they want to say, help us. I mean, what are we going to do? These snakes are killing us all. What are we going to do? And so he talks to God and God told him to take a staff and lift that staff up and put the, get them to make the image of a serpent and put it on that staff and then hold it up, and when someone is bitten by a snake, let them look at the snake. And whenever they look, believe in God, they will be healed, and they won't die from the snake bite. That is a wonderful, but see, that's an earthly event that happened back in the Old Testament. But Jesus now is pointing out that's exactly what he is going to do. That is a perfect picture of what Jesus is going to do on the cross of Calvary on the cross of Calvary. And so he says, uh, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Thus, whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the illustration, the earthly illustration is, 
that whenever Moses lifted up that serpent, so the Son of Man, Jesus, would be lifted up on the cross of Calvary. And that's the earthly picture of the heavenly truth that Jesus came from heaven to share with us. That's something you would not know unless he had came and told us what the truth was. And so that's an amazing picture of the salvation that Jesus gives to us. Now, Moses lifted up that serpent on the pole, on the staff, that so many years passed, and anyone who looked at that did not die from the snake bite. And you know that snake bite, that's a perfect picture of the sin. I mean, we're all bitten. We all have the venom of the old devil, the sinful tendency in our heart and our life. We've been bitten, and, we have, and we're sick from that. And when we look to Jesus, he heals us of all that. And he heals it. And we do not die. We do not go to hell. We go to heaven because we look to Jesus. And what a perfect parallel. What a perfect picture. And the fact that the the, uh, serpent was lifted up and that Jesus would be lifted up, I don't know if you thought about this or not. This is a prophetic thing that Jesus is saying there. See, whenever he came to trial, and ever he stood before the Pharisees, the Pharisees would condemn him to death. And how would the Pharisees put him to death? Not the way the Romans did, not on a cross. They would take people who have been condemned out and find a big ditch and put them down in that ditch. And they'd go over and find great big stones. And they'd pick up those stones and hold them over their heads and throw them down. And it would hit their arms and break their arms and crush their skull and chest and they would die from these big stones hitting their body down in the ditch. Now, wait a minute. Jesus said he's going to be lifted up. Now, Jesus knew those old scoundrels, the Pharisees, when they got in there, they decided because it was a holy week that they didn't want to be defiled by putting someone to death. So what did they want to do? They wanted to get the Romans, the Romans to put Jesus to death. And so who would ever known that twist would have been in there? They took them in there and they presented them to the Romans so they wouldn't have to put Jesus to death. And there, the Romans hung him on. That's how the Romans executed their prisoners. They put him up on, on the pole and they died up on a cross. And so Jesus was lifted up. And that is so very prophetic. You see, how would he know that that would happen? And so you can see the prophetic message of Jesus. He could come from heaven and in heaven's uh, throne, they know exactly what's happening and how that Jesus would die, and he would be lifted up, and so and not put to death down in a ditch, the way that the, uh, the Pharisees would have done it. And so, what a perfect picture that you have here. Now, this verse, verse 14, 15, 16, right through here, this brings me up, and I like to give my testimony right here. It's 1968, I believe that's like 53 years ago, I was 15 years old. It's 1968. There was a preacher came into my town over Riverdale, and he came to Heatherwood Baptist Church. And there he was preaching, and he got all excited. I guess he'd heard the Sword of the Lord conference or something, and he went out into the neighborhoods, and he was winning all the children, the young people in our neighborhood, winning them to the Lord. And I, there was my brother and myself and a, a, a fellow called Greg. The three of us hung out all the time. And so he had talked to Greg, and Greg got saved. And he started witnessing to me and my brother and telling him, boy, you got to get saved. You know, and he kept telling us that, and I was thinking about that. And I thought, my goodness, if I'm going to get to go out and play and do stuff 
with Greg and everything, I'm going to have to get saved so he'll shut up. <laughs> and so anyway, that was the way I wanted to start at the time. And so, but every time we'd go out, we'd be shooting basketball and doing things like that. And Greg, he'd be talking to me and witnessing to me. And so anyway, I remember him standing out there under that basketball goal talking to me and he held his fingers up like this and he says, all right, he says, now, if this is you and you get saved, you're going to go to heaven. But you know what? If this is you and you don't get saved, he, I remember him doing this. You're going to, you know, <laughs> that right there just kind of shook me up a little bit. And so he told me that. And then one day we was at his house and we went in his bedroom and he kept talking to me. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask Jesus to save me. So I knelt down by his bed and I prayed and I said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save my soul. Take me to heaven when I die. I'm trusting you. I'm putting all my heart, my everything, my whole life into your hands. Take me to heaven and I want to live for you. And I prayed that prayer. And then when I stood up, the world was different. I mean, it was like someone had flipped a switch. All of a sudden, everything I looked at, I thought, man, that was made by God. I, you know, I hadn't thought about that at all. That thought never entered my brain. And everything, the trees, God made those, the birds, the blue sky. God has made everything. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator of me. And I had this wonderful glow right here in my heart. There was this warm feeling that I had right here. That was the presence of the Holy Spirit that I had not felt before. And so that was a wonderful thing. I went home and I told my mom and dad, they weren't saved, and I told my mom and dad, and, and uh, I told my sister, and of course Eddie was there, so he saw me get saved. And then we went up to my grandmother's house and I told her I'd got saved. I was telling everybody I'd gotten saved that day. And so everything, I was riding through Atlanta, uh, you know how Atlanta looked in 1968. And so we went to Atlanta, and oh, I think God made this, gave the wisdom to all these men to build these buildings, and all these thoughts was in my head that would never be there before. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that was during one day during the week. And this was, like I said, this was like February of 1968, 53 years ago, and we went to church. That was my first time to go to church after I'd gotten saved. So I went in there, and I could understand everything the preacher was saying. Now, that shocked me. I couldn't believe that. The Holy Spirit of God in my heart was teaching me and showing me what he was saying and witnessing to me along with what the preacher was saying. And that was an amazing thing. It's been that way ever since. I go to church. I understand the sermon. I understand what the preacher is saying, and I listen. And normally, I don't fall asleep. There's been a few times I've been real tired, but I don't fall asleep. I listen. And, uh, what you know, before I got saved, my grandmother would take me to church a lot of times. And uh, anyway, and I'd go in there, and I'd sit down, and uh, we went to one of these churches. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it was a Baptist church or what. We used to call them air-sucking Baptists, you know, the preachers that, you know, just do these us, you know, and all you... And so we just sat there. I would just sit there and count the us. I said, there's like... I got finished, and I told the grandmother, he did 600 us, you know. <laughs> so anyway, he did all that. And anyway, but all I'd do is just count that. And I didn't pay any attention to what the preacher said. But this time, I listened, and I understood. And it was Brother Mike Bagwell. And, you know, he's like 76 years old now, but then he was like 21 years old. And he's a young pastor at that church. And what was the scripture he was preaching on? He was preaching on this verse right here. John chapter 3, verse 14, 15, 16, 17, all those verses right there. And see, that's an amazing thing. That was 53 years ago, and I still remember exactly what he said. And so uh, that's how important the Spirit of God in your heart is. It'll teach you what's being said and teach it to your heart as you're listening to the Scriptures. 
And so anyway, I, I came in there, I understood everything that the preacher said, and I was just so amazed at that. And that was a wonderful thing. And then um, after that, I, we went home, and I talked to my brother, and he got saved. Then I talked to my sister, and then she got saved. Then I talked to my mom, and she got saved. Then I talked to my dad later, but later on, and he got saved. And oh my goodness, what a wonderful thing that was. And then ended up at my grandmother's house, some of my aunts and some of my uncles, they all got saved. And so anyway, whenever you trust the Lord, it kind of spills out, and you're going to share what God's done for you with everyone. And so that, that's my testimony. That's what, I, that's what I did. And like I said earlier, we've been looking forward to going to heaven ever since that day in 1968 because I prayed and I said, Lord, take me to heaven. And so what a wonderful thought that is. Jesus is going to take us to be right there with him. And that, I just think that is so wonderful. But look at this. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent... In the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he goes on, verse 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus did not come to condemn us. He came to save us. And then it says, verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you've not trusted Jesus, Jesus, no one else, Jesus. You have to be born again. You have to trust Jesus. And if you've not done that, then it says here that uh, you're condemned. The wrath of God is over each and every person's head from the day we're born. And it will be there until you ask Jesus to come into your heart. And then when you do, that is washed away by the blood of Christ. The condemnation is gone. You ask Jesus to save you. Now you're on your way to heaven and the sin is taken away. And what a glorious thing that is. But it, it says right there that if you don't believe, he, that, uh, he hath not believed in the name of the Son, the Son of God. Let me, see, let me read this again. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, then everywhere you go, you have the condemnation of God over your head. It's there until you trust him. And, and you're just like Nicodemus. Jesus told him, you must be born again. And just shocked him like that. that this, who is this man? They're telling me, I must be born again. Doesn't he know who I am? And Jesus is telling you and me and all of us, you must be born again. Let's get this, verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. If there's someone here and you're not trusting Christ, if, you're, if you've not asked him to come into your heart, if you've not been born again, what is the reason? It's because we love darkness rather than light. You don't want to come into the light of God's word, the light of God's presence, and have your heart cleansed by his precious blood. You don't want to do that. You don't want to come into the light, and you love darkness. Why? Because your deeds are evil. You don't want to be seen. Why is it when someone does something wrong, they, they go and hide behind the building, they hide in the darkness, they don't want their sins to be seen, they 
don't want to be in the light of day. And so that's the way we are. You avoid the presence of the Lord. You avoid trusting Christ because uh, your deeds are evil. And that's the reason why you don't trust Christ. And so people are staying away because uh, they don't trust the Lord because they love darkness rather than light. And here's another thing. Every one of us, we have a need for Jesus. You realize when you're born that there is like a little hole right here in your soul. There is a hole right there. And it's shaped like Jesus. And you know, you've seen the kids playing with those little things where you put round things in the square peg, I mean the square hole and all this kind of stuff. That right there, nothing else will fit. I mean, you can try to put things there, but nothing will fit but Jesus. I mean, you may go shopping. See, this is a reason why a lot of people do things. People go shopping because going out there, that just makes them feel better. And going out and buying things and, and, and things like that, and they're trying to fill that hole. There's something missing. You go out and buy a car. You know, my dad, whenever I was growing up, about once a year, he'd go buy a used, he wouldn't get new ones, but he'd go buy a used car. And my mom would fuss at him, you know, by buying these cars all the time. But he was trying to fill that hole. But what it was, he needed Jesus. That's what he was looking for. And so I heard him talking about, you know, uh, people talking about losing weight, doing different things. He said, you know, you get up in the middle of the night and you go down and you raid the refrigerator and you get a piece of cake out or you get something out to eat. But what it is, your body is tricking you. What you need is water. You're thirsty. Go down there and get a drink of water. <laughs> Don't get a piece of cake, <laughs> and you might lose a little more weight. And so, but your body's tricking you, and you go down there, and you get something like that, when actually you just need a big drink of water. And so that's the way it is. People are trying to fill that gap with everything in the world, and that's what they're always going and looking for, but it's going to take Jesus. Jesus is the only one that will match. And whenever you have him in your heart, oh, the joy that fills your soul. Oh, the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. It'll change your life. And oh, what a pleasant thing that is. And you're not going to be happy until you do that. Until you have the Lord in your heart. And then when we go to heaven, I'm telling you, uh, the, the scriptures tell us, well, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it's not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. This is John 14. And says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and have you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for each and every one of us in heaven. You have a place, and it's there waiting for you. And I'm going to tell you something. When you get there, you are going to be so blessed, so comfortable. You know, you do a lot of traveling. We like to go places and do stuff, and it's fun. You know, you go out for a week or a few days, and you stay in these nice places and these hotels, and these. but none of them, you don't really sleep real good in these beds sometimes. So after you do all this traveling, and when you come home, and you get in your bed, oh boy, boy, that is so nice. You go home and get in your own bed. That is so comfortable. That is the nicest thing. Well, I want to tell you something. When you get to heaven, when you get there, you're going to be in the place that the God of creation, the eternal God, has created, who knows all things, he has created for you. And you are going to be so comfortable. It's going to be the most comfortable place you've ever been in your existence. I'm just telling you what you can look forward to. You're going to feel so good when you get to heaven. You're going to be so comforted by the presence of the Lord, by the things of heaven, and you're going to enjoy every minute of it throughout all eternity because you're going to be right where you're supposed to be. 
right in the arms of Jesus. And oh, what a glorious thing that is. He's prepared for us. So, and that's the same thing as what the little hole that's in your heart. You need Jesus. That's just the beginning of comfort from on high. So anyway, that's what happened with Nicodemus. And he was blessed. And I'm sure he got saved. And Jesus shared with him several earthly illustrations that showed things that he had known and had learned from heaven that he was telling to us. So anyway, let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear God, I thank you for these scriptures. I pray that you'd bless these lessons to our heart. And Lord, use us all in a mighty way. Help us to obey whatever it is you've said to us, whatever it is you want us to do. And Lord, I just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.